0: This show will pollute listeners' ears with foul language, occasional sexually explicit content, and more irony than is allowed for single episodes. In the last several years, distributors of obscenity have expanded into new areas, employing new technologies and reaching new audiences. Neither our constitution, our courts, our people, nor our respect for common decency and human suffering will allow this trafficking in obscene material. Cinema PsyOps. Which exploits women and men alike to continue. Sharing filth-laden desires on mic to warp the brains of listeners until they are all demented deviants. Federal laws are being violated, and thus I am committed to redoubling the federal effort to ensure that those criminal elements who are trafficking in obscenity are pursued with a vengeance and prosecuted to the hill. The fact that society is becoming much more open now, less repressed, and I think there's less need for cinema psyops. Without dignity, they shout into the void in a vain attempt to be loved.
1: Living in this culture now where there's just icebergs of filth floating through every house on Wi-Fi, it's inconceivable what it must be like to be a young adolescent now with this kind of access to... Cinema PsyOps. It must be all dizzying and exciting, but corrupting in a way that we can't even think about.
0: A pirate ship with a tattered flag, sailing across seas of questionable movies while firing cannons of disdain. Cinema PsyOps. Long may she sail. Hello and welcome to a bonus episode for Cinema Psyops. I'm chilling out here all by myself in the studio, which is why I'm a little bit louder on the mic because I don't have to keep it down because Matt's not coming through on my mic. Haha. Well, anyway, I'm just kind of chilling out here, waiting to be able to do an interview with Bill and Kyle from Survival of the Film Freaks, co directors on that film, actually. And as soon as I can get them onto the Skype line, I will bring them on in and talk about how they made the film, what type of camera they used uh, all sorts of other weird stuff that just comes off the top of my head being kind of obsessive and always worrying about equipment and all of those other things and how the film got made so kind of a fun little interview that i'm hoping to be able to do here and uh, we'll see how that turns out also wanted to let you guys know i actually got to see the film so i'm really eager to talk about it like right now so while i'm waiting for them to be able to come on the line with me i'm gonna go ahead and play the trailer the definition of a cult film can be given by each individual who watches the film.
2: A great movie that the masses just kind of miss.
0: Biker films. Polizia Teche. Cheerleader movie. Giallo's. Martial arts films. Nunsploitation. Vasectomy the movie. A delicate matter. Terrible
1: things happen here.
0: Terrible things. Corruption. <laughs> Tulane Blacktop. Easy Rider. Brain damage. Savage Sisters. I spit on your grave. Phantom of the Paradise. Muriel's Wedding. 2019 after the fall of New York.
2: Twisted Nerve. Maniac.
0: Ice Pirate. Pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. Eatin' Raul. Pink Flamingos. Thriller. A Cruel Picture. In the Room. Man. Office space.
1: Now that I've gotten on the internet, I'd rather be on my computer than doing just about anything.
2: It's a whole new world, but it's a positive one.
0: All right, being able to do this interview and getting it set up, Kyle was nice enough to share with me a review copy of Survival of the Film Freaks. Now, I can't wait to dig in and tell you guys what I felt about this movie, and hopefully I'll have enough time here. I'll try and make it quick. I'm trying to make it less spoilery, although it's a documentary, so I don't know how you spoil a documentary, but here we go, right? So, Survival of the Film Freaks is a really unique uh, experience for viewing for me because I have never actually... actually connected with a documentary on a personal level. I have not had the experience of anticipating what might be the next topic or even error of time discussed eagerly before. With documentaries, I tend to view them clinically to simply gain the information they are conveying. I've never found myself wanting to find a missing piece or overlooked moment to prove something to myself about my own passion on a subject while watching a documentary until this film. Every time I thought about a topic that would probably not be mentioned Even something so trivial as like a simple lost video format that I may have collected that nobody else probably knew about in my own mind, it was brought up right as that thought occurred to me, and expanded on with the same enthusiastic joy that I have by the people being interviewed. I've watched many documentaries on cult films, exploitation films, horror films, other movies that were often just dismissed and maligned. Those documentaries, they've all championed the movies, they've championed the heyday that they existed in. the makers behind the scenes tributes to directors and actors and special effects artists all that kind of stuff survival of the film's freaks is about those of us who traded tapes spent a fortune on that doomed video format that nobody else really wants to talk about people like us that fought tooth and nail for that rare out-of-print dvd or blu-ray and even just you know sourced torrents when there were no other means to find a film all for the love of just watching movies Besides connecting with this film on such a personal level, it tells the narrative of how the evolution of viewing formats and physical media changed the way we consume entertainment. It does it expertly. It does it enthusiastically. It's a terrific independent documentary. All film fanatics should check this out when you get a chance. Physical media collectors should check it out when they get a chance as well. It's an excellent film. I really enjoyed it. I really recommend it for you guys, and I can't wait for it to get out there for everybody else to be able to see it. Me being a tech geek, my very first question that I always have to have is about the equipment. So I'm kind of curious about how you actually captured your interviews, like what camera and audio equipment you were using to do it. Motorola flip phone.
1: <laughs> the razor, the razor has amazing quality that people don't remember. It's um,
0: two megapixels. It's
2: incredible. <laughs>
1: um, actually, it was uh, it was uh, a lot of luck that we sort of fell into. I, I at the time uh, I was living in Los Angeles and I was working uh, for a camera company called Digital bolex and digital bolex um is and was so the company doesn't exist anymore but of course the cameras are still out there uh the company was a digital cinema 16 millimeter camera so the uh because you're a tech geek I'll, I'll describe it a little bit it captures 12-bit color it's a it has a super 16 um i don't remember the term now uh, but a sensor super 16 sensor um so it was the only sort of 16 millimeter digital cinema camera of its kind it was built through kickstarter and manufactured and it had a, a like a five-year run um, there before they finally before they finally went under but at the time I was working for that company so I had access to some of this equipment um, borrowed through the one of the co-founders Al Schneider um, and that was what most of the interviews are filmed on now there was stuff that bill ended up filming um, first on an iPhone and then on a, a Lumix g7 is that right
2: uh yes the g7 but the iPhone um, it was shot with 7 plus with a uh, moment one angle when through filmic pro so not just like like the native iPhone app because the iPhone can shoot some amazing footage if you use the right equipment with it absolutely
1: so that was that was the gist that was most of our equipment um was just was, was most of it was the digital bolex which I had access to and then um bill ended up doing the rest and and you know it matches up pretty nicely um you know throughout so it was good that we didn't have you know two totally different because that's the thing about the digital bolex it's really hard to sort of match to um or so I thought and we I think with this this project especially because it is a documentary we don't have to really match shot for shot we can have kind of different settings and it kind of flows flows together nicely so that was that was what we did uh tech wise
0: okay and was the audio captured on camera in a lot of these cases or did you guys have a standalone recorder for this um some of, some of it was
1: both um just so we had multiple uh things a, a lot of the camera that i had bar the digital that i had borrowed before didn't have the audio input working correctly so half of them did half of them didn't we did uh record separate audio uh on just on a zoom you know the lav mic and then we had the the mics that were already on the zoom just capturing every bit we can because admittedly like that is one thing that i learned so much about going into the doc was audio um over from my first documentary and then of course bill knows so much about the audio stuff because of the podcast so luckily we kind of had our heads in the right spot uh trying to record some of that though if you ask our audio editor he might have had something different to say but are <laughs> he's not here so it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's fine well I do have to say that one of the things that definitely struck me about the film right off the bat is that it looks and sounds wonderful there's a few exceptions with some of the like convention footage where you hear the background noise but what are you going to do it's a freaking convention I mean all mics are going to pick up something like that so. exactly.
1: that was probably the toughest part was was the convention stuff but uh, luckily our sound our sound editor um, Bishop Woodley just kind of killed it the best he could with, uh, with rearranging some of that stuff you know and then if you heard if you heard the OG footage, man, it was it was tough. Um, but he's Bishop's a, a master of that stuff, so I'm glad that we had him on board to, to clean it up for us.
0: That's great. And it's actually pretty surprising because you could have told me that you shot it all with the same camera, and I would have totally believed it because it tricks the eye the way you guys edited the footage together. And it also helps I think having the trailers and other portions to wrap around the interviews to kind of break up where there may be differences in the cameras. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. We we, we certainly tried to make it coherent and f- flow uh, nicely. So I'm glad that it, I'm glad that it works in uh in your eyes, man.
0: Yeah, it definitely tricked my eye. I'm not saying <laughs> that I have a trained eye or anything like that, but I do have a bit of OCD, so I'm always looking for something like that. Right, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I noticed that Bill, you created most of the music for the project except for maybe one or two songs, is that correct? Uh yes
2: and no. So I d- I created most of the score and wrote most of the score and did a good chunk of it with my friend Jason Maz who uh runs a studio uh near me, he was also in the, he was a, the, one of the founding members and the guitar player in the band Defeater for, you know, almost you know, the eight, last eight years or whatever. Um, So we worked on some stuff together. I brought some stuff to him already written and then he kind of filled it out with some, you know, some guitars and adding some drum tracks. But like most of the, the score stuff is me and him. Some of it's just me of just, you know, hooking up the synthesizers and you know, making some weird sounds and being like, all right, I think this works. Um, We did license three songs, one from a band called Cold Collective, which uh, is a bunch of my friends and then our buddy OK Doc uh, who is a hip hop artist we used his beat at the beginning for the opening the opening sequence um, and then this amazing retro sim song by this band called September 83 uh, fr- or sorry September 87 right no yeah no 80s, 87 87 right. right from Australia who um, has an EP and then like a couple singles and hasn't really done a whole lot but we reached out to them and we're like hey listen your song is like the perfect feel uh, for the stuff we're doing so we used it uh, during the 80s montage in the film and then we use it during the closing credits and we also use it as the backing track for all the promotional stuff that we've been doing so um we lucked out with getting some really good music i'd never actually tried to score anything before so it was kind of kind of interesting and me sending tracks to kyle and me like does this work does this not work then you know and then jay kind of taking the stuff and filling it out but uh it was actually a lot of fun because i'd never like i said never done any scoring before and i haven't really done a whole lot with music in the last you know decade or so so it was nice to kind of explore some of that stuff
0: it seems like a lot of the aesthetics of the film being uh, like the main logo for Survival of the Film Freaks and also the music itself has a feel of a very sort of retro 80s vibe to it and I was wondering if this was all intentional to kind of lock it into I want to refer to it as almost the heyday for film freaks like ourselves. I think, I mean
2: it, I, it was intentional on the point of, I, I mean I love that aesthetic because I'm, I'm one of those guys that's obsessed with stuff from the 80s and um, I was, you know, I was born in 77 so I remember the 80s and Kyle's obviously a little bit younger. What but- about the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> So, so it was definitely, I don't think it intentionally kind of came that way. We felt as though with, especially with the music that like a low level synth score, you know, a minimalist synth score is going to work best to kind of just like layer under a lot of the interviews and stuff. Whereas if you have a lot of like real kind of like thumping, you know, high energy stuff, it takes, I think it not takes away from the interviews, but it doesn't really necessarily work for like a documentary. So I really kind of tried to lock that stuff in. Um, and it just kind of came across, you know, as, you know, kind of very Carpenter-esque in spots and then... And, you know there's kind of like the kind of like the goofy like uh electroy stuff but um if you listen to all the music on its own there's actually some some cool like kind of like dynamic post-rock stuff going on and then also some like almost like americana pieces that are like like a gothic dark like brooding type uh um indie rock type stuff so we kind of mixed it up and definitely built songs around those time periods but so much of the film is spent talking specifically about vhs and cable that i think a lot of it just kind of lives there
0: mm-hmm. yeah i definitely have a feel of of like a Lama uh, type synth, almost like a throwback style synth to it. But I definitely saw some of those other influences that you mentioned as well. And I was just kind of surprised, especially since you haven't done music in so long that it, it turned out as it did. And I was really impressed. And I'm kind of curious, will there be a possible survival of the Film Freak soundtrack, please? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's definitely on our radar. Um, whether it be, you know, just like, you know, a band camp release or, you know, or if we get to, you know, if we get to a point where we can press a couple of vinyls, especially the stuff that, you know, Bill and Jay did, um, it would be really cool to do, to do that. You know, there's, there's, um, there's an EP worth, let's say like, let's say that. And there's a couple of tracks that I don't think we ended up using anyway. So it's like, and we also I, have,
2: I, actually, I think the score, I think the total runtime for the score is probably, oh, you know, you, out, yeah. you know, the stuff in year, we're looking at probably like close to 45 to 50 minutes of stuff because there's one i did one there's one piece that like runs like nine minutes so you're right you're right i totally
1: forgot about that track that would just be the one yeah so I mean, there's definitely there is definitely uh, some place where this is all going to be, whether it be physical or digital or both. Um, we definitely want to get it out there because, I mean, uh, I I think Bill did such a great job because I think we went in and we had, you know, we knew that we needed to have some of that synth stuff because it, we need to tie the 80s together. But Bill was also pretty adamant, at least from what I remember, uh, being like, well, we don't want to just do a, like a full synth score because everybody's doing like a full synth like 80s throwback score. So he like really set out to do something a little bit different to some of that you know doom and gloom sort of stuff some of that you know post post stuff and um it was really that, cool it had.
2: sounds like sounds like fucking death heaven
1: yeah exactly it's like you know setting out to do something a little bit different um because also that something cause what you're saying is like, you want to, you don't want to have something that takes away from your doc, but you also don't want to have the same, you know, blips and beeps going on (laughs) underneath the whole entire thing. So I I definitely want to get that, that music out there. Once we get to a place where, you know, everything is sort of coming out and available for people.
0: Now, Kyle, you've done other documentary films before this. And Bill, this is your first film. What drew you to making a documentary as your first film effort?
2: Um, I mean, the idea came out like about five years ago. Um, I was having a conversation with Adam Green at Rock and Shock in Worcester, uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, that is. And we were just kind of talking about torrenting and downloading. And he was talking about how his film Frozen had been downloaded like 100,000 times before the Blu-ray was even released. And it just was this really interesting conversation about how, like, I know myself have discovered, you know, tons of films through, you know, what would be nefarious means, but because they're not available in any other way. So it was this conversation based on, like, his, you know, anti 100% and me trying to like pull these gray areas and so it was kind of an idea that just kind of like it kind of bounced around my head for a, a couple of years and I met Kyle at Rock and Shock too. I, it might have even have been the same year I don't remember um, when oh he was, man it could have been might, I think it was either the same year or the year before but no, semantics doesn't really matter uh, Kyle was working on his documentary Phantasm and he interviewed Chris and I from outside the cinema for the documentary and we just struck up a friendship and we kept in touch and um, you know we remained friends and just would talk from time to time and this idea kept coming up and my work situation at home had changed. I had gotten laid off and I was like kind of figuring out what I wanted to try to do and um, podcasting is fine but it obviously doesn't pay you know it doesn't pay the bills or anything so I'm like well you know what I've got this idea for this movie I'm like I'd really like to do it. Talk to my wife and when I was like I'm like I think I'd like to try to make try to make this movie and she's like well you don't you know she's like that's awesome. She's like but you don't know how to make a movie and I'm like nope but I have friends that do. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, wrote this kind of like stream of conscious, like five or six pages of just like random notes stuff that I'd come up with through um, years of just OTC and like all kinds of different stuff. And this idea for this movie, and I called Kyle and was like, hey, out of curiosity, would you be interested in working on another documentary? And he wasn't sold at first because... Um, everyone, he's he'd done a documentary and you know, was like, he was trying to look at other stuff, which I can totally appreciate. So I was like, All right, well, here, can I let me send you this stuff? Here's the idea. Let me send you this stuff. Take a look at it. Tell me what you think. And you know, and he did, and you know, pretty quickly, he was like, I'm on board. This sounds awesome. So, yeah, how it happened. <laughs> it was,
1: and I, I, I was, I was really, um, I wasn't looking to do another documentary. And because I think that, you know, again, I was in LA and everybody's sort of telling you what to do when you're in that scenario, you know, you're trying to you're trying to get your foot in the door and you know you documentaries are I don't know they they're not really talked about out there it's a lot of narrative Um, so I was going with the flow. I, you know, I was, I was probably two years into living out in LA, maybe less than that when Bill contacted me, you know, so it was really trying to figure out what the situation was. And, um, you know, then Bill sent me all of his notes and it got me excited because that is something that I, uh, if I were to do a documentary, it was going to be something that I I give a shit about, you know, it was going to be something that I was interested in and I was already interested in, 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 you know, cult films and, film in general, but the way that Bill was talking about it and the way that it was a different sort of point of view, uh, it made me want to, you know, jump back in. And by jumping back in, I was like, oh, I still have a lot to learn um, just about, you know, tech stuff, about independent filmmaking, about, you know, doing it on like DIY stuff, which is uh, a background that Bill comes from in a different setting and then a background where I, I now come from in a film setting you know, so it was really cool to kind of jump back into that. Cause my, my other documentary was, uh, also a student film project it was it was kind of both my my senior thesis and my first film venture out so i had a little bit which as i refer to college all the time like this i refer to it as bowling with the bumpers on you know i had like a little safety net um in order to make that film happen so this was kind of the first film without that safety net of school and equipment and this was really this was actually do-it-yourself not do-it-yourself with the help of the university that you go to um, so for me, it was really, um, I was hesitant at first, but I was then really, and am now really excited that we did it because I, I think we have an awesome doc. And I also like learned a whole hell of a lot about going forward about the other projects that I want to do.
0: Now, you kind of mentioned this in the last answer, Bill, but it seems to me that the evolution of viewing media formats is one of the kind of key plot structures of the film. And you mentioned that that sort of was the inspiration for the film story, but was it the actual in- initial inspiration or was there something else? That kind of drove that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm I'm a cult movie maniac. I, I love I love cult movies.
2: I have since I was young. I've always loved the stuff that's a little bit left to center center. So, I mean, I always would have loved to have made, like, you know, that that big, huge love letter to all the movies that I love. But, like, it's been done. We've seen American Grindhouse. We've seen Not Quite Hollywood. We've seen all these movies that are just these great documentaries that that tell that story. But no one had told the story of the means of the films getting to people and how it's changed over the years. And then especially how the world we live in now is just so different. Like, you know, before it was you would go to the drive-in to catch the B-movie or you would go to a Grindhouse Cinema at midnight or then it was you had to see it on cable. And then it was, you know, you would get the, v- the VHS is at the store, like in the back wall or whatever. And now it's just such a different world. So like nobody really talked about that. Nobody had looked at like where, where have we been, where are we going and how, how is it going to change the way we watch movies? So like, I was really intrigued by the idea of like, I can tell this story. I'm like, let me get Kyle on board and we can tell this story better than I think anybody, because we're a little bit, you know, we're a little bit different in age, but like, it's enough that we both have kind of different points of view and we've both been through a number of changes so we're able to look at it like very open-eyed and be like hey like this is a cool story to tell but we can also educate people on how you know independent films and you know weird and genre flicks are going to be able to survive because if with without people making changes and supporting the films then you know the films can't get made so I don't I don't really know where I'm going with this and I just realized I just started talking and forgot what I was saying
0: <laughs> well coincidentally you answered the question so <laughs> good well done i love the stream of consciousness that got around to answering the way that i needed it so we're good
1: that's, the, the, hey man that's also how the doc was made so it was perfect yeah so true. yeah the, lot, the origins of the doc
0: a lot of the interviews actually do feel like uh, just film fanatics talking about what they love i just wanted to actually mention that um just kind of on a personal note while we're doing this that it really did resonate with me and i think it really hit the spot and i would consider myself a film freak i mean i even call myself a horror super freak, so it really matches up with what you guys are trying to do. And I feel like you guys hit all the major points specific to those media formats and what they meant to us and how they evolved our tastes and also our access to these films. Absolutely.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. I appreciate that because I think that was that's the goal of, of the doc is to inform but also like really, you know, build up that that love and that passion that people do have, inevitably. Like anybody who watches it this and does like they might not even like cult film at the start but anybody who watches this and knows that there are films out there that people love as much as they do they might Try to jump back in and try to find some of these movies so i think the the whole goal for us was to inform but also you know get people pretty stoked about going out and finding flicks whether they know them or not so i'm glad that that, that resonated with you
2: yeah absolutely man we totally like we've said this too with a couple screenings that we've done and like is that we wanted to make a documentary that was not only going to entertain but it was going to educate at the same time without being too like heavy-handed so i felt like we walked that that line pretty well uh in getting that point across
0: I'm very curious as to what role your two producers that are credited Mike White and Donnie Dale Evans played in the creation of the film
1: so uh, Donnie was uh, is uh, our executive producer he helped uh, very much from afar he knew that this was a passion for us and he wanted to help out in some way um, and uh, so he he was kind of our producer from afar. Mike White um, was our producer right off the bat, getting us contacts, reaching out to people, reaching and now still reaching out to festivals and reaching out to press and um, being involved in, in that way. So we have um, you know we have one producer sort of from afar, kind of keeping an eye on, helping us um, fiscally and you know with with uh, with morale. <laughs> and then we have Mike White doing the same thing in morale, but also reaching out because he has his own contacts and his own set of um, people who we can reach out to. Um, so he was helping us out there as well.
0: Sounds almost like Mike did more of a line producer work where he's kind of keeping the wheels greasing and getting these interviews set up for you guys. Uh,
1: Absolutely. And I think that you could, you could definitely say that, but of course, you know, we are such a small, small group, um, really four as the foundation, you know, two in production and, and two on the, on the outskirts helping us with production, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, it would be a, I wouldn't say a disservice to call him a line producer, but he did so much more um, yeah. than just that. And same with Donnie. I mean, it would, it would be so much more than just calling him, you know, executive producer or whatever it was. It was really, these guys kind of really helped us get this, get this thing going and get this thing off the ground. It's, it has legs because of, of, because of Donnie
0: and Mike.
2: Yeah. It, it, it was tough, especially when we first started because Kyle was still living in LA and I, I live in Boston And it was like, you know, so we had a we had a ton of travel. We had to coordinate, You know, we each crisscrossed the country a couple of times. We went out to Vegas. I mean, I went to L.A. twice. Kyle came here twice. We drove to New York. Uh, It's like there was a lot of travel and a lot of like moving parts that we needed to figure out. So like if we didn't have Donnie there helping, you know, like execute the travel and figuring out what was going, uh, we probably would not have been able to even get started. And Mike definitely landing us a couple of those big interviews early on just through his work that. he's done with his with you know with projection booth and then also just like a lot of the writing he's done over the years he's got a lot of contacts mm-hmm. so um they were to, they, they were really the 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 crux that got us going and then both of them we've been able to lean on too with like you know sending footage and you know sending them the cuts and being like you know what do you think of this we made this change so there's like like kyle said there's the moral support there along with the actual work going along with it um but it wouldn't have been the, the movie wouldn't have gotten made without them he's there's no there's no question there
0: Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. Now, a little more of a personal question here. Where does your own film freak story begin?
1: Oh, geez. <laughs> that's a
2: that's a good question. Bill, you, Bill, you got an answer for that uh, one yet? I can. Yeah. All right. Oh,
0: so, I, I think
2: I've told this story on OTC a couple times, so I don't I don't think I've told it on your show court. Mine kind of started with, well, I could go with a couple. I'll go with probably the most amusing one. So uh, growing up, there was a video store down the street from me called Gold Star Video. And uh, what we would do on half days, we would ride our bikes uh, to school or whatever, and then the half day would hit, we would ride our bikes back to the McDonald's and we'd get a 20-piece chicken nugget, a large fry, and a large vanilla shake, and we'd go to Gold Star Video and just hit the horror movie section. And one of the first times we did this, we saw this box called I Spit on Your Grave and it had and be it we're like 13 at the time, maybe, you know, the, it's that it was the it was the print that had the like, you know, backside of Camilla Keaton with her clothes kind of all torn up and she's holding the knife. And the I don't remember the exact quote, but it was like this woman just, you know, murdered and maimed five men and there's not a jury in the country that would put her in jail for it or whatever. So we brought that home, and like it spit on your grave is a really, really harsh, heavy movie that's got like themes that a no thirteen year old should have to try to figure out. Like we were just like, this is not what we what we we what we you know expected and bought in for. But I was intrigued by, you know, this film that's like harsh, depressing, just sad film. And it made me want to watch. I'm like, well, what else is out there like this? And that's where I got kind of turned on to more, you know, deeper horror stuff. Because at that point, I had done the Friday the 13th, so I had done the Nightmare in Elm Streets, and like, the not that that stuff isn't you know hard, but like compared to I spit on your grave, or like or like Last House on the Left, like that stuff is that stuff is a cakewalk, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of where the like deeper root of it come but it comes from. But like I remember last time I was on your show when we did we did what Porky we did Porky's Two the next day, and I told that story about how Porky's Two was on the dub tape that my dad had that was right before Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. So that's kind of where the original horror thing came from and just weird movies. So I, I've been there for too long and it's kind of scary sometimes. <laughs>
1: um, for me, it's, it's hard because I think movies were always sort of in in my life um, before I knew that they would have had an important part in my life. Yeah, If that makes any sense, it's like they were obviously they were just still a part of it until I I'm going to go ahead and say Night of the Living Dead kind of did it for me. So I was I was always growing up a horror fan. My grandparents would show me Universal Monster movies when we went on vacations up in Vermont because they knew that it wasn't entirely scary but it would still be, you know, fun. You know, I was a big Halloween kid and it was just those were the things that they would show me and and then when I turned into a pre-teenager Uh, I ended up seeing (laughs) The Grudge in theaters. Um, And then it got me kind of connected with modern horror. But then uh, I don't know what happens. I think I was like starting to read Fangoria and Dread Central online and this, that and the other thing. And somehow I finally started diving back into the classics, uh, which were things like Romero's Dead series. And Night of the Living Dead kind of ticked all the boxes off for me. Um, I was learning what an independent film was. I was learning what it means to do this on your own. I was learning about a film that has longevity. I was learning about something that, um, you know, came in and out of theaters and uh, still um, inspired things and inspired people from then on out. Uh, And I think that's where it clicked for me. I was like, that's where I wanted to be a filmmaker. That's where I wanted to learn more about the history of film, Uh, not just horror, but independent film, cult film. I was learning all of those terms and those ideas from this one particular flick. Um, and that's sort of where it went off for me. I mean, my, my roots are in horror, um, and there is a lot of crossover between horror and cult. Um, but then, you know, that's that kind of, as you, as I learned to appreciate film and wanting to be a filmmaker, I've sort of expanded into a lot of other realms that weren't just horror or independent horror. Um, a lot of flicks that are still now considered cult um, and that's where it kind of interests me um, and that's where it continues to interest me are all these sort of like pockets and corners and um, dead ends of mazes that you somehow end up in uh, while learning about uh, learning about cult film
0: the rare find
1: the rare find the the gem of a movie that you didn't know existed like there are, and, and you can watch it's fun to watch other people discover those things too um, which we've sort of already found out a couple times in screenings where we there might be a portion of a trailer that somebody's really interested in and then we'll ask bill or i like what was that from so it's like you already know that you're sort of getting the ball rolling um or you're steering them in a direction where uh they might never talk to you again or they might ask you for another suggestion so it's like really it's a really polarizing experience it's wonderful
0: (laughs) <laughs> what uh, festivals and conventions will have future screenings coming up for survival of the film freaks?
1: Um, so so right now, the only one uh, announced and official is uh, the Sean O'Shea Memorial Film Festival, uh, which happens in Southbridge, Uxbridge. I, I can't quite oh, remember much. which. Okay. Yes. Uh, and it's happening at the Starlight Gallery. That one is happening uh, Saturday, October 6th in Massachusetts, uh, by the way uh saturday october 6th at five o'clock um that is the last day of the festival the festival runs from october 3rd to october 6th um and that is uh well no that's that's not true we do at the end of october we are going to be at the um uh, new york world film fair uh we haven't had a an official date or time on that but i believe that is the last weekend um which is 26th through the 31st. I think it runs. Okay, so it's a little more. Yeah. So it's a little more than the weekend. It, it leads through Halloween there, but uh, we don't have an official time or date on that, but that's another one we're hoping to get. We are still awaiting word on a, a handful of festivals. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get something out on the West coast to get people to check out the doc. Um, you know, we, uh, we were fortunate enough to have our world premiere at horror hound uh, weekend in Indianapolis. And that was a fricking blast, man. that was so much fun um we had a great response there and uh you know hopefully hopefully a couple more here and there um and then we'll see what happens come uh, come winter. Try to get try to get a release going, and hopefully have it ready for the uh, the spring
2: or summer.
0: Now you just had a recent screening where you guys can now be called award winning film <laughs> documentarians. <laughs> oh, so
2: you fit. know what? Use that. I have used that far too much in my house in the last few days.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I am an award winning documentarian, and you will show me the respect I deserve. Yeah. It actually
2: went more like this. It was like, Bill, can you do the laundry? Um, would an award winning filmmaker do the laundry? And she's like, yeah, because there's no clean pants. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Mel knows what's up. She knows what's
0: up. That's a great card to be able to play, though. I mean, play it while you can, right?
2: (laughs) We can play it for the rest of our lives because it's going to always be true.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. Well, given the very warm reception that the film has already received from the two screenings that we've mentioned, what is actually on the horizon for future projects for you guys?
1: Uh, So I I, I have a narrative script that I uh, narrative feature that I'm planning on shooting next year. Uh, I don't know how that all is going to happen yet but i've i've said that to myself and to the world so that's happening um and then bill bill had uh as a has a project that he we've been in in talks with as well
2: yeah we're um i mean we can't announce obviously can't announce anything but we're looking at well we've got one we're in production on now which is just going to be a short a short film for uh the hip-hop artist OK doc who did music for our movie we're producing a short um, not I mean it's not necessarily a promotional film but it's a a little companion piece to go with his new record that's going to be coming out Um, and we're going to have that in the next next couple months so we're actually just kind of working on editing that together now Um, and his new record bingo bango I think is going to be available the end of October if I'm not mistaken Um, so we've got that Uh, and then the other thing is we're we're we've got a couple ideas the one that we're I think most in love with right now is a horror um, like an anthology um, of specific nature that I won't get into because I don't want to give it away but I'm counting kind of at working with a few other directors for a couple of different pieces and then also probably directing either one of the segments or a wraparound story and then producing it also so mm-hmm. we definitely we want to work with some of that we've met that's the thing with with doing a movie like this and hitting film festivals and networking with people is you meet so many amazing filmmakers and everybody's got amazing ideas and all these things they want to do. And we would just really love to be able to work more closely with some of those people. Because um, I just think it, I think it'd be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Well, I definitely feel that the two of you complement each other well with your skills. Both have strengths where others have weaknesses. And I look forward to future projects that the two of you work with together. So I'm I'm hoping that that is on the horizon more and more. Yeah, projects. absolutely.
1: Absolutely. I think that's, I you know, I, 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 I think we really enjoy working with each other and uh
2: something together there's no question there we just don't mm -hmm. know what yet
1: (laughs) yeah right there's so there's a lot of things swirling because we we know that this will work you know so it was like it's just figuring out which one is actually the next one up you know besides okay doc that's coming up that's coming up the end of the the end of october for sure
2: yeah that's definitely yeah that's definitely happening that's all shot um kyle's gonna start working on the editing in the next week or so Mm -hmm. um and that should be fun because it's kind of it's like uh studio work with him but then it's also a little bit of like kind of mockumentary stuff going on kind of like you know bending the uh the what's real and what's not so uh we think that'll be fun Mm
0: -hmm. all right excellent well that is all of my questions uh thank you so much for your time especially now that you're award-winning filmmakers i greatly appreciate your award-winning
2: filmmakers we didn't didn't even mention because we won best film at the undo divergent film awards but we also we also won best documentary
0: yeah double 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 duty baby (laughs) well that's excellent i wish you guys more success in the future i really enjoyed the film and uh, i'm grateful to have gotten a review copy and that will not go to waste and that shall not be shared (laughs) leave
2: us a rating on imdb we want to get big (laughs) real big (laughs) we want to be big time